Demons of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players. My guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just the starting point. The goal of the show is to highlight the players' stories, interests, and passions. This is not a magic strategy show. It is 100% focused on the players themselves. It is my belief that every person has a great story to tell, and my goal is to bring it out of them. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. All right, so today I am extremely excited to be talking to a man who is one of the good guys in Magic. He has countless top 8 and top 16 finishes across Europe. If I were to list all of his finishes, we would probably run out of time. And he has a over 70% win percentage lifetime, or at least in 2015, 2016, which is amazing, which is probably three times that of myself. Uh, and he, not, not only is he a brilliant Magic competitive player, but he is a renaissance man. He streams online, he plays different formats in Magic, he's extremely active as an ambassador for the game. And he does not only play Magic, but he's also done many different competitive games, dabbled in many games over the years, and has just now launched a new online Super League for the legacy format of Magic. And not only that, but he is an endless source of entertaining stories. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Julian Knob to the show. Julian, how's it going? Hey, James. Thanks for having me on your show today. Yeah, so uh, maybe you can introduce to the listeners, where are you right now in, in the world? Around <laughs> uh, the world is Julian Knapp. Um, right now I'm in uh, Neufahren, which is like on the north end of Munich. Uh, I'm sitting in my room and yeah, it's a rainy day, nine in the morning. It's a Sunday, very rare for me to have Sunday completely off. So I'm just like enjoying this. <laughs> Right. So, how has your how has your week been? Oh, uh, super busy. Oh. <laughs> the uh, as you mentioned, this was uh, the first week of the Legacy Mediocre League that Over Voltage, Mike Danielson, and I started, and it's just so much work. It's crazy. Like oh, there are just so many tiny things that you wouldn't think about that you need to work on. So, I'm really excited that we got the first episode in, and. Now I'm all focused on preparing for GP Prague, the legacy GP that's starting next week. So, yeah, really looking forward to that now. Excellent. So for listeners who may not be familiar with the concept of an online league, can you just briefly explain what that is, the legacy mediocre league? Yeah, so basically what it is, is we get uh, nine pretty well, or let's say um, on average more well-known players together. And we play on Magic Online and stream those matches. And the important part about that is that we also capture the hands. Like if you watch other players like stream, you can only see their hand. Or if you go into a, a watch mode, you can like can't see any hands. And what we do is we also stream the hands, which is like a really really big improvement over what you see otherwise. And yeah, now we run nine league uh, nine weeks of matches and see who comes out on top. Excellent. So I imagine that there must be quite a lot of logistics to be able to see 
the other guy's hands as a as a viewer and you know it sounds a little bit like poker with the the whole cam you can see everybody's cards so because i i understand that it's not built into the magic online client so there must be logistics and a bunch of things involved right yeah there's quite a lot of logistics um mike who streams uh the league itself he had, he had to buy a third monitor because it's you have to be on Google Hangouts with all the guys and then set the capture regions, which is quite a lot of work. And honestly, I think Magic Online should incorporate this feature without us having to jump through all these loops. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned poker, and I guess you also remember how like the next big step for poker was to also stream the hands of the players to give the audience much more feedback about what's going on. And I honestly believe that that's also one of the next big steps for Magic to always show both players' hands and not like keep the commentators guessing about oh what's going on oh maybe I saw a brainstorm I don't know oh no it's a sorts of plowers come on this is 2016 yeah let's uh, let's let's run over to the table over there and uh, zoom in let's oh what is that card um, yeah like um, you know it's not the Stone Ages right um, anyway we'll have plenty of time to get back to. Magic Online, I'm sure you have a lot to say about Magic Online, you have a lot to say about Legacy, but let's just step back a little bit, and mm -hmm. let's just say that, let's say an alien came came to Earth, he knows nothing about Julian, right? <laughs> if you, if... Uh, <laughs> I hope if, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, so, can you introduce the listener who you are and what you do? If someone just came up to you, they don't know who you are, how would you introduce yourself? I'm not even talking about just magic, but let's say I, I met you for the first time today. Um, what oh. do you do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you do in life? Yeah, um, related. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty hard question. That's probably the hardest question you could ask me because it's it gets right to... The, the very concept of yourself, I guess. Um, no, I'm just some German guy. Uh, I'm living close to Munich and who still hasn't really found his place in life yet, I would say, on a very general um, level. Uh, I'm working for a hotel in Kenya, which is uh, quite hard to describe. Like People ask me, what are you doing there? And I always ask back, well, if you had a hotel in Kenya, what would you be doing? Like, I, I don't trust you own it. I just, I, <laughs> I wish. No, I just work for my boss. And they're like, okay, cool. What are you doing? And honestly, what would you do if you had a hotel? You would like make sure that you can sell it to people, that you've got uh, a lot of things for people there to do. You just take care of everything, pretty much. That's what I'm doing in life right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, just based on the fact that we've been chatting over the weeks and months, uh, it, there's no shortage of interesting stories when you work at a hotel, right? Like there's there's always just something new every day for better or worse. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, I can't disclose everything I've told you in private, I guess, but <laughs> there are some <laughs> there are some really really wild stories about what's going on in Kenya. Like the the country itself and all the people there are super amazing, but you can probably imagine that uh, things just work a little different over there than they would in Europe or like anywhere that most of our listeners would probably be used to. <laughs> right. And it's it's okay. I think we can leave it at that. You know, in the future, if I ever want to get in, really get inside your mind, I probably will have to go to Kenya or go to where you work and then uh, just job shadow you for a month and then I'll do a documentary film on you and then it'll be, like, then I'll, then the, the whole inside story of Julian will, will come out, right? 
Uh, probably. Like, if you if you want to go to Kenya to hunt the biggest game there is, uh, I've had people call me, and that totally sounded like they wanted to hunt humans. Um, <laughs> I probably can't help out with that or any other of the the animals in Kenya. But yeah, <laughs> there's plenty of crazy requests. Like one one of the guys we had to pick up from the airport, and he requested to bring a fridge to the airport. Just because he wanted to store some of his cold drinks or something. Like, what the fuck, man? This isn't, the, <laughs> I don't know, shit. Hilton uh, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so there's, you don't there's, really... there's definitely some peculiar personalities. And uh, I, I'm, oh, man, I think I need to wait for your book or something to come out about this. But uh, uh, let's, let's switch gears slightly. Uh, let's say that it was somebody who just entered the world of magic for the first time. Let's say competitively. How would you introduce yourself in terms of what you do in context to magic? Um, in context to magic, I would say that I'm somebody who really, really likes to play and speak about magic. Like you can always tell when, when once you feel more committed than the average person, and. I only just realized it uh, when we finished streaming the Legacy Mediocre League. I mentioned how I had to work on it like for a couple of hours afterwards. But during these hours, I still kept playing Magic Online while like working on the deck lists and stuff. It's just, I always want to play Magic. That If you want to sum me up, um, I think it's, I always want to play Magic. If you travel to a GP and it's like Sunday night and we go back by train or something, you will probably find me playing Magic in the train or even on the subway, uh, just if I can and if there's a possibility, I really want to play. And I think um, that's one of the commonly shared traits between people like me uh, that really always feel this strong urge to play it out. Like, to to bring up a story, I remember when um, the other guys of Team Eurospec, like Mark Koenig and especially uh, Thomas Flacek, when we traveled to the US, we, we took a train from New York to New Jersey, I believe. And you didn't even have tables, but those two guys, like, I think they're pretty much the same when it comes to wanting to play all the time. They just put their playmats on their knees and then they started playing against each other. And they didn't even sit opposite of each other. They sat next to each other and there was a, an aisle between them. But they still wanted to play so much. So they just <laughs> made wow. it work. And that, that is, I feel uh, that's I'm dedication. pretty much the same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so I know that you have, are a passionate, passionate participant in the game, and it comes across when we talk, it comes across in your tweets, it comes across in the fact that you're launching a league and things like that. You're doing things for the love of the game, which is excellent. Uh, but having said that, a lot of people play the game, but they never really go beyond that. You said that you like to speak about the game and discuss the game. Was there something... Is there something about you that makes you want to do that or as opposed to just playing all day? Because there's lots lots of people that play all day, but you go beyond that, right? Mm, probably, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I really want to talk about my experiences and share them with the community and probably also just get feedback on what I do and what I say. Like, I think that, that there's a point about... Yeah, I think the feedback is quite important for me because otherwise you would just be sitting there and playing Magic Online for yourself and never get in touch with other players except for maybe at tournaments. And I just really like taking part and yeah, participating in the overall community of Magic, which is quite important to me, yeah. How much of that feedback loop 
is important to you in terms of getting better at the game? Oh, it's so important. It's probably the most important aspect. Uh, I always like to mention that when I started streaming in, when was that? I think it's September, October 2013. Uh, I picked up elves. Uh, actually, I had picked up elves like two months before, but once I started streaming, I got so much more feedback on my play and I noticed how much more I had to focus on stuff because you really don't want to misplay in front of the camera. Like these days, I've, I've, I've given up on that hope. Uh, I still misplay in front of the camera like all the time. But having people observe your play and question your every move helps you out so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit different from uh, real life play, right? Because when you're playing in real life, there are people watching you as well, but they're not typing questions directly into your head in terms of, oh man, why'd you do this? Or uh, I want to ask you a question, right? So I imagine that the stakes, ironically, are higher in online where there's even though the pe the people are not physically with you, uh, I don't know if that's a fair statement because I don't play a lot of online, but uh, I would imagine the stakes seem higher online, right? Uh, in a way, because if you play in paper, uh, people like to like make takebacks and be like, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, but that's not what you did do. And <laughs> in a tournament, it doesn't really count what you wanted to do. I also wanted to win the tournament, but if you didn't, you didn't, and you can't just like take it back. <laughs> and another aspect is like, if you play in paper, most of the people that will watch you or talk to you probably know you or are friends of yours. Uh, whereas online, um, a lot of the people that come in and watch you probably don't know you or let's say think they know you. So it's, I don't know, if they give you criticism and feedback, it's really very much about what you do. So it's more of an honest feedback, I would actually say. Like with friends, uh, we also tend to give each other a lot of shit and call, call us out on bad plays. But it depends on the relationship you have with the person. Uh, sometimes they would probably not call you out or like think, oh, this is a minor thing. I'm not going to mention it. Whereas online, oh man, if, if you play the wrong fetch lane on the first turn, people will crack down on you and like you're the worst player in the world suddenly. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's basically, it, it feels like every part of people's online identities is I have to be as anal with you as possible. But I guess in a way <laughs> yeah. to... Uh, for Magic Online, it sounds like they are helping you in some way, in some kind of objective manner, because there's not going to be a guy that's like, you should have just not played a land this turn for the sake of trolling <laughs> you, and then because everyone will just start destroying that person. Now, having said that, who's the... I guess this is kind of like story time. Um, what's the worst uh, in-real-life spectator you've ever experienced while you've been playing magic on the table oh the worst what while i myself have been playing yeah while um, you were playing because i mean online you're gonna get tons of trolls and people who are just gonna spew things at you i mean but in real life i mean have you ever had an extremely unpleasant spectator while you were playing oh yeah <laughs> actually uh, i remember the story from the mkm series in prague last year i was playing in the finals of the big legacy trial against the sky on sharpless and uh he had ancestor vision suspended and during his upkeep he forgot the trigger so he didn't remove a counter from uh the ancestor visions so he moved to his main phase and played a land and started playing his turn and one of the spectators who also happened to be one of his friends he just saw it and 
when he thought like it was out of my vision, he just moved the die from four to three to to indicate that the guy had not forgotten his trigger. And oh I was my like, goodness, dude, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Seriously? And the judge was like, yeah, well, uh, maybe you can move away from the table and. Uh, and we leave it at that because that's actually quite serious and the guy could have gotten much more trouble than that and i was just like not amazed actually i, like, I was really? like really like really yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's all i could say yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. but the other kind of spectator in general that's quite annoying to you is the one that you can hear talking and sometimes you feel like they want you to hear talking when they question your moves and you can totally tell that they have no idea what's going on because they only came to the table and like with every game of hidden information it's also a game of like what did your opponent represent what did he not represent what mm -hmm. when did he have an opportunity to play a certain spell so they they are missing a lot of information uh, so they when they come to the table, they're like, oh, Julian misplayed. He should have done this, this, and this. And in my head, I'm like, dude, you have no idea. And <laughs> I wish I could tell you. <laughs> you, so you uh, just want to yeah. like stand up and say, you, maybe you just want to start berating that person. But then you realize you have a match to play, right? And you actually made the right play. So forget that guy, right? So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, in a way. But it also comes back to me just like wanting to talk about the game because I, I want people to get better. And I... Whenever we play just for fun, I think I'm quite annoying for my friends in a way because I keep talking about like this play would have been better, that play would have been better. And in a way, I also do it to test myself. Like, did I miss something? Was there something uh, that would have really been a better line of play? So I think the biggest point to, to casual play is to still keep in mind that it's a competitive game and you should like challenge yourself every step along the way. So... Yeah, I probably the main reason I would want to talk to that person is to to actually get in a conversation about what would be the best play and what would be the yeah just something yeah. So that, that <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah, no, I mean basically you're still coming from a place of good intention, D despite how the person or your friends may feel at the time. You are essentially wanting everybody to level up in the you know, for the long term. And if you talk to somebody, it's with the intention of wanting him or her to play better, right? And I, I think I can, I can totally respect that, you know, I think that's, that's, that's great. Um, and yeah, that, that's exactly the kind of magic community I grew up in. Like, if you make mistakes, you get called out on the, of them, on them, but not for the sake of belittling you, but to actually have everyone improve. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that's one of the reasons like why the greater Munich legacy community has been so successful in the game over the last couple of years. Right. Uh, this is an excellent segue. Uh, hold that thought because I am going to uh, step back in time a little bit more. And I really, because you had mentioned that you are such uh, a passionate practitioner of the game, but how did you start playing Magic? Uh, I picked it up it must have been around 1999. Like, I remember that Utsa Saga block was the current block of the game. Like, there was people were still selling Tempest block. Um, somebody at my school just randomly brought it to school, the way it works, and got everybody hooked. Like, every boy in our year was instantly, like, addicted to magic, and we kept buying boosters and... That's pretty much just how it started off, um, playing casually at school. We didn't really know what rules did. Like, we invented Double Strike 
because we we thought that trample would mean the creature that like first strike and regular damage <laughs> yep. and you know all these crazy stories like dark ritual gets you three uh, three swarms into play and i remember another guy had a rule that whenever you, you run out of cards you just draw seven new cards and you could also play <laughs> as many basic lands as you like because they are basic they are free so you could build these crazy combo decks especially if you like if you had lines of diamond uh, you just used it and it gave you not only three mana but you also drew seven cards because at that point you were out of cards it, it was a wild time yeah i mean for everybody it seems like there are two major commonalities the first one is that there's always some kind of magic drug dealer who brings magic into the town and there's always some guy who had all the cards and everybody just started playing and or being influenced by the game and you know the traveling caravan and the second commonality is just that people just love making stuff up as they played and it's no different for myself playing with my brother but i think that's in some ways that's sort of the the purest joy of magic that we we don't really experience later on because things become much more objective and rules-based uh, over time. Oh yeah, right? oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like I feel the same with every competitive game that I've picked up. Like the early, uh, well not years, months, depending on how, how quickly you progress, um, they feel like this magical fairyland where everything is super exciting. Like I remember, I'm pretty sure I knew the flavor text of every card in Urza's block. And I might even be able to tell you like the collector's number on, on some of them, but that's almost 20 years ago. So unfortunately, I'm a bit rusty on that now. <laughs> it's amazing how we often remember things that seem so useless, and I am also guilty of that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like I can't remember what like something important from two days ago, but I can remember uh the f the the first magic card i played or how i tapped the land or something like that um you know in the beginning so when you yeah. first started playing magic was there a particular deck or strategy that you really gravitated towards or cards um, even cards healing sort that was considered one of the best cards in oh, the man, game by that's, that card is just <laughs> fucking overpowered man <laughs> yeah, it, it gives you three points of life. Like, that's crazy. Um, yeah, so in the very first weeks, I was playing some stupid black and white aggro life gain deck, which I thought per uh, worked perfectly well, because what's better than dealing damage and gaining life? <laughs> but from that, I... <laughs> Love it. From that, I quickly moved on to a blue-white wall stack. Like, it has all the walls, flying walls in the game, and Radiant Archangel. Uh, since we only had, like, 20 minutes during... Uh, how do you call that? We call it a break in Germany. You, you guys have recess, I, uh, I think, no, in English? I don't know. we call it a break in Canada, too. Yeah. Ah, okay. So, yeah, every, every game was a draw, pretty much, because nobody could ever win. Um, from there, I quickly moved to what I enjoyed most back then, and... Ironically, even today, uh, that was an elf stack that could kill your opponent as soon as, I would say, turn four or something and use Priest of the Tenya, Lano Elves. And back then, we didn't have Glimpse of Nature, which is just, just one mana, but we used Recycle from, I believe it's Stronghold. Uh, and that's a six mana enchantment where whenever you play a card, so even a land, you get to draw a card. So you, you would use that to cycle through your entire deck and then kill your opponent with a fireball. And I remember one of my friends, he was always standing next to me with a calculator and typing up how much mana I had left. And when I played against like the younger guys who were like a year or two be, uh, below me, 
I would always make sure to deal 1,337 damage lead to them. <laughs> and that was always so amazing to them. I was the guy and they would come up to me and say, hey, can we play? And they were so hoping that I would deal that exact amount of damage to them. And yeah, I felt like, yeah, sure, come on, I can deal lead damage to you. This is the uh, <laughs> Julian Elves version of Exaxes where you do 1337 damage. This is glorious. <laughs> and it's also great I, that you I, had I an accountant friend who was doing this for you and very very gracious fellow it sounds like so, um, yeah. yeah i should even have a deck list on my website up like if you go to my website and check out my bio i'm pretty sure i linked uh, one of the deck lists of back then i really think that should be a deck in the uh, mediocre league <laughs> old school elves with six mana glimpses I mean, yeah six maybe mana is fine right you can power it out on turn four with a little bit of elves support i mean you got gaia's cradle <laughs> no <laughs> No, uh, okay, so you started playing Magic like that, you got involved with the Little Green Men, and you tried different combinations of decks, as we all did when we started playing. Um, from then on, how did you get into actually competitive Magic? Um, that took me quite a while, because uh, after one or two years, I stopped playing the game because like life moves on and there's always something new to do. So I got more into co uh, computer games and stuff. And it took until 2005 until I played my very first paper tournament. Um, how did I actually get to play in that? Let me think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember watching the Pro Tour in Los Angeles 2005. Uh, I could probably tell you everything about the top eight of the Pro Tour because I've watched that recording at least 30 times or something. And it got me super excited. It was extended, and Antoine Royal won with Black Talk in the finals against Billy Moreno, who played um, Blue Green Madness. And I think it was even commentated by Randy Bueller, so some guy who's still around today. And yeah, just. It got me so excited about the game that I actually wanted to play in tournaments. So I built my first extended deck and just went to my local. It wasn't FNM, it was Wednesday night extended. And that's pretty much how it all started. Actually, the very first tournament was a Grand Prix trial for Copenhagen. Oh, yeah, I remember. I played Enchantress. And like in the very, very first round, I was new. So everybody assumed that I would be like one of those serious grinders. So my very first uh, opponent asked me, hey, are you going to Copenhagen? And I was like, seriously, Copenhagen? <laughs> Do you know how far that is away? It's like at least eight hours away. Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah, and funny enough, last year I actually went to GP Copenhagen <laughs> randomly. I hadn't even planned it. Like a, fr a common friend of ours, Matt Pavlik, he was in Europe and he was like, hey, you want to go to GP Copenhagen? And I was like, sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're going with a bunch of friends, and it could be good times, right? Uh, but let's go back a little bit into that GPLA. You had been away from yeah. the game for so long. Obviously, you had picked up competitive game, other games. We'll get back to that in a sec. But was there some? What was it in that magical top eight or that tournament that, as you were watching, you just thought to yourself, "I need to do this," or "I need to get to that level." Um, uh, it sounds, sounds weird, but be, because you keep criticizing that very aspect of the game, like today, over, over 10 years later, but the production value got me really excited, like seeing how professional the Pro Tour was, 
obviously, I'm not playing on the Pro Tour these days, but seeing like the the competitive environment that they created with Magic, that really attracted me. Like all those super little things. For example, um, in one of the matches, one of the players, he sided out lands and the commentators explained why he would side out lands because his friends had tested the match all night long which was like another big thing to me you would go to bed and have your friends play test all night long because your next upcoming match was that important yes that that's how it works in magic at least uh, on pro tour levels and so they figured out that the matchup was almost impossible to win and there's nothing you can really do so he was like yeah sure there's still variants so you would side out a couple of lands, hope that you get the exact right amount, and then just get there. And it didn't work out for him. He got mana screwed against Antoine Royal in the quarterfinals. I think it was, uh, was it Nakamura or Fujita? I think it was Fujita. See, I, I don't remember everything, but I remember it was a Japanese player. And yeah, like these super tiny little aspects. Also, Chris McDaniel, uh, Star Wars kid. Uh, he he played Heartbeat, Blue-Green Heartbeat with Mind's Desire. That deck was so hard to play. It was incredibly hard to play. And uh, funny enough, I actually built that very deck and never played in a tournament. I just sat on my bed and keep goldfishing it because that was already so exciting to me. So I figured I had to get into that. And I well, can't really say be part of that because I never made it to the Pro Tour. But I want to be part of competitive magic. And that's how it all started. So it actually was a case of as you watch the whole production of that tournament, the the fact that the commentators narrated it and told you about a world outside of what's actually the cards being played on the table was. So for example, people were preparing for the deck or there are certain things going through their mind that now through commentary, you could actually understand as a, as a lay person, a layman. And also the fact that there were technically complex decks and situations uh is that fair to say like these are kind of the the factors that sort of got you more interested in that competitive realm yeah yeah for sure um yeah yeah i think also one another big aspect of competitive card gaming is that it also gives you like a frame uh, a common framework because back at school it honestly was about like hey Who's actually willing to spend money on this? Because we would mostly just buy booster packs and who bought the most booster packs or the best cards to probably win. Whereas in a competitive frame, you have everybody's got the same well the the, the, the uh, how do you say it? Like the, the playing field is pretty much leveled. Like everybody got the same cards and access isn't really an issue. And in two thousand five when I when I went into it, I was obviously earning a lot more money than back in school. So money wasn't really an issue anymore to me. So I really enjoyed that it was a level playing field for everyone. And it was like this competition of minds instead of wallets that was deciding the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, now going to the phase of time between when you started playing Magic at school and between between that and when you saw this tournament, I know that you have been playing a wide variety of games competitively. Can you talk me through your experiences and what games you gravitated towards in that gap of time? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I think there's two big ones. Uh, Actually, yeah, yeah, okay, let's start with that. Um, The very first game I played competitively online was Quake 3 Arena. 
um, we started playing out in local lands and, and just play each other. And once I got the internet, which must have been around that time, I went, just went online and started playing. And some clan recruited me. I didn't even know. Like back then, we called it a clan. No, these days, nobody would call any team a clan. It's that's it, how teams these days are, or even franchises. But yeah, I got recruited, so I played online, and I think I was pretty good in Quake Arena, given that I was like pretty young and hadn't played a lot. But how, yeah. how old were you at that time? Um, that must have been fourteen, I believe, fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, oh, okay, I think yeah. there was a time when there was still some overlap between Magic and and Quake, and yeah, and then once I stopped, didn't really play a lot of Magic anymore. It was all online games. And what was that it about was the, online games initially? I mean, it one part is that you feel like you're a part of a community because you got recruited, right? And so it felt like you had some status there. But was there were there other things about the games that felt attractive to you? Oh yeah, playing against humans. Like that's the ultimate challenge. It's it, it still gives me goosebumps to think about when we first connected our computers like my friends. Uh they were two brothers about my age and somebody drilled a wall uh, a hole through their wall so we could connect them with a network cable and then we would play for example quake 3 uh, arena one-on-one -on -one, or even like counter-strike one-on-ones which is like pretty stupid but for us it was so amazing and i can totally still like relive that feeling of competing against humans for the very very first time like you would play on on consoles on super nintendos that's something that we did like way back then but that's not competing in in a game that gave you as much freedom as let's say a first person shooter like you would move around the map and hunt the other guy down and when have you ever done that before never in your life you've seen that on movies but wow it's this amazing feeling where you get to challenge another human being instead of a stupid bot because back then the, if you played against an artificial intelligence, it was either either cheating by having like more access to any kind of resource, or it was just plain stupid. So the challenge wasn't really something to be proud of. Mm -hmm. And whereas against human beings, it's like there's a common set of rules, and the better player always comes out on top. And that's super exciting to me about online gaming. So I guess it it goes without saying that you really appreciate the skill involved and the fact that you're outwitting your opponent and the best man or woman would win the match, right? Oh, exactly. I mean, <laughs> it was on a very basic level and we made still, like, we still made a lot of mistakes, but yeah, that's exactly, exactly what it comes down to. But I want to dig deeper a little bit here because For sure. I know that, I mean, you and I, I feel like we're both fairly competitive in a lot of ways, but there are people who just sort of play games against the computer or one-player games or they played deathmatch they played quake and doom and all these games that we played but they never really got into it at a deeper level it's like i really want to beat this guy or i really want to beat everybody all the time do you think there's what do you think it is about you that really made you care about improving and winning and losing hmm. what made me really care about um Hmm. Maybe you can help me. I really wouldn't know. It's just it. It's as I mentioned. It's just this big challenge to your mind that keeps you entertained. Mm -hmm. Entertained. So. Um, hmm. I think. Let me. Let me start first. Then, um, because yeah. for me, it's always my brother and I. We grew up together, and so 
we are always we have the sibling rivalry so we always wanted to beat each other at everything and so we would have fights physical fights we would have we would wrestle we do different things but it became easier to just challenge each other to games and and that was basically the outlet to be like hey i want to beat you at everything so i want to beat you in the game as well because we have the super nintendo where we had a pc and we just really wanted to beat the crap out of each other and come out on top it's more of a feeling superior to the other person it's very um it's it's very childish at the time but in some ways i've sort of carried that with me through my life and the fact that the i think you've actually touched on something that i can relate to which is all the games that i've been really really into such as magic there's always this sort of feeling that you have to climb a mountain and that not everyone can do it and that if you put in the work you will get better so I have this thing about me which maybe it's the same for you as well. When I start playing something, you're going to lose in the beginning more often than you're winning. But I have this ability to not give up. So some people if they get if they start losing, they're like, "Fuck this, I'm not playing this anymore." I get beat up, you know, I get knocked down. I want to learn how to beat this guy. I want to learn how to like get better and I and that satisfaction of trying to level up so that I can eventually beat someone at that game whereas he or she may have been beating me before that to me feels very satisfying that to me feels like a, a way of personal improvement that's kind of why that why I've been competitive so that's just my my side of things i don't know if there's yeah. anything there for you but but that's that's kind of what makes me care about winning or losing it's the the mental challenge and i guess just the challenge itself I think I can totally relate to that. And you mentioned a super interesting aspect, which for you, it was your bro brother. In general, it's some kind of usually in the beginning local community that keeps driving you. And if I think about it, I've only ever gotten good in a game when I had like local people to, to talk about, to play against, to, to compete against. Uh, For example, in Quake, it was my friends at school, or in, in just the same is true for Magic, or let's say Street Fighter, which we might also talk about. It was my friend at school that I would visit every day after school to just play Street Fighter and Mario Kart all day. And I was always worse than him in those games because he owned that console and he could like practice five times more than I could. But it didn't matter to me. Like when I was at his place, I wanted to compete against him. And Yeah, it's. I really think that you need somebody to to train with, to uh, compete against, because otherwise, if it's just unknown people from the internet, you might still get there. But I think the the local community aspect is pretty important. Yeah, I agree with that. There needs to be a push, and there needs to be a sense of maybe rivalry is too strong a word, but I always feel like you know I'm with my friends or my brother, and we happen to be playing this game. So if we're here, we might as well try to win right i mean i'm not going to be playing a game with you like 40 hours a week i mean back when we actually had that time to play video games <laughs> um to oh. you know to to lose all the time you know i have some pride you know and i don't want to be the one who who always loses and it's no fun for him or for me so um that's that's kind of how it begins right um okay uh so i think it, it you know it's it's funny because the more we talk the more it feels like we have a lot of commonalities, despite you being an entirely different background and place in the world than, than I am. But uh, um, I, I, I kind of want to keep exploring the competitive aspects. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you played first-person shooters, and that was 
kind of mind-blowing a level that console games weren't. You know, you had your own screen and keyboard, and it's very reflex reflex base, and it's a far better commentator sport than spectator sport than Magic, as we know, because it's very visceral. You're 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 shooting the guy, and you're either dead or you're not, and it's first person. Yeah. Um, other than that, you what other games do you play, or what games did you get really? Let's just talk about what games you got really serious in. Yeah. Like, uh, and, and uh, the next big thing for me was Counter-Strike. Um, and and, and just, for, goes people, back to just the... for people who don't know the game, maybe you can introduce like what it is. Yeah, Counter-Strike back then was uh, a mod, a modification of Half-Life, uh, which is probably one of the biggest first-person shooters of our lifetime. And it started out as this local project that uh, some guys did, and it spread over the internet, and suddenly everyone online was, was talking about it. So all my friends at school, they had also switched to Counter-Strike, and that goes back to the local community aspect. Suddenly, I was the only Quake player like around. Yep. And... When you went to school and everybody every day was talking about how to get the best moves on this map and which weapon was better over there, you also wanted to be part of that. So at some point I just dropped Quake and it's funny, I still have the CD that one of my friends gave me, uh, that must have been also like 16 years ago, to, to try it out. And yeah, I just got sucked really, really deep into Counter-Strike. And to this day, it's the only game that can ever rival um, the amount of com commitment that I put. I can ever rival Magic on the amount, uh, the amount of commitment that I've put into it. Uh, back then, it was really pretty much all I did whenever I had free time at home. Like I would come home, I wouldn't even do homework anymore. Like I've given up on homework in like, like eighth grade or something. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, that's, you would go online, and I played in a uh, in a team that was from a different town. Like I, I still played with my local friends, but you would think that actually no, they still put up a lot of commitment, and they were also good. Some of them were even better than me. It just happened, so happened that uh, if you wanted to organize a team in a clan. I would just stick to the guys from the different city and we would play together for what felt like forever. In the end, it was only like two or three years. But you you and I, we can relate to that. Back then, when you were younger, two or three years' time was like a lot of time. And yeah, so that's how we started out. And it's kind of funny. In the beginning, we would lose all the time. I, I still remember getting up for Clan Wars at like, I don't know, eight in the morning because we couldn't schedule a better time. Then we, we would lose miserably. But we still kept doing it because we really enjoyed it. And yeah, so after a while, we, we got better and we made our own team and we got picked up by an even better team. Like this was the time when when teams started having sub-teams, like we played for a team which is called Osnabrück Esports, you probably don't remember it if you're not from Germany, and we were a part of their Counter-Strike division, but they also had like a Warcraft division, and I don't even remember which, I, I think we even had an Age of Empires division and stuff, <laughs> and yeah, so it was kind of cool to me, because I never really noticed the transition from being like a bad team to a mediocre team, to actually one of the top 15, top 20 teams in Germany. Uh, it just like happened. Like you would lose, uh, win more and people... So I think the biggest point is once somebody turns to you for advice, you're like, oh, wow, I'm probably not horrible anymore. Mm -hmm. And You're in the club, that, right? Where you're, you're, you're somebody who's better than a lot of people. Exactly, exactly. And that gave me something to do. 
that to me that was like really important if you if you want to touch on private life my parents were um getting or had gotten divorced during that time and even though i didn't want to admit it it definitely affected me a lot and i just needed something to do during that time and like being part of this online community and playing playing counter-strike and hanging out with my friends all day long on back then we didn't even use skype we had stuff like roger wilco and battlecom uh on hanging out on irc it, it just it was a very welcome distraction and also like just gave me something to do with my life on top of just like going to school and sports mm-hmm. yeah i mean uh it sounds like i'm not super well versed in the competitive world of counter-strike but it sounds like you were definitely on one of the top teams in europe right at least or at least germany uh, in Germany, for sure, um, it, it's really hard to estimate how good we were. Um, I can only like mention one of the players would go on to play on the national team once we dissolved the team. Kind of like there came a time when we just didn't put as much interest into the game anymore. That was about when we when we graduated from school, and then there were new things coming up. But one of the games stuck around. He actually dropped out of school to keep playing, and yeah. Like half a year later, he was on the national team, and some of the guys that we had been competing against on an almost even level were very, very top teams in Europe. Like you probably know most sports. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's one of those teams that we used to play against, and who, yeah, pretty much moved on to become one of the top dogs in worldwide esports. And it's kind of funny because you look back and you're like, oh, what could have been, mm-hmm. but yeah whatever i'm feeling very comfortable where i am in magic right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and when you were part of a team in counter-strike competitively what did you guys do to work together or get better at the game did you guys do things together or was it just the fact that you were huddled together in warfare all the time that you got better like what did you have any systems or processes or methods um i think the most important thing was to just play a lot like uh while we were talking i was just wondering why didn't i play as much with my local friends than i played with those guys uh, at a certain point and it's probably because i wanted to play more like i still enjoyed playing with my local friends and you would always play like uh, stuff together but when it came to counter-strike and competitive counter-strike i think i wanted more than people were willing or even had time to give so for us, it was this routine. You would come online after school and you would immediately start looking for what back then was called a clan war. It, it just feels so odd because these days nobody uses these terms anymore, like <laughs> yeah. a clan war and a, and a recruitment process and stuff. Now. And yeah, so we would just practice a lot to, to develop better team play and stuff. What, what I noticed today is that Counter-Strike is so much more professional. I, I recently started playing it again with a bunch of uh, online streamers. Like, you you know Mark from, from Denmark, yes. and he's pretty committed. And when I started watching coverage again and seeing how professional these teams train, like, they've got, they have to throw grenades into certain spots. And back then, we would just do that, like, yeah, you probably have to stand round about here and you throw it at about this time. And those guys, they have it down to the pixel. You can totally tell. They look at the floor. They are looking for this one pixel that they have to stand on and then get the right angle and the exact perfect timing for that grenade. We didn't do that. Uh, people might have done it on the very top level back then, I wouldn't know because I wasn't on the top international level, but it really blew my mind how 
how much more professional it got because back then it really was mostly about just playing a lot, getting really great aim, and then of course also developing like good strategies. If you didn't have a good strategy at a certain level, you couldn't compete anymore. But what we thought were like very thought out and good strategies back then, that's laughable today because today, wow, they are just so much deeper into it. And like I see these strategies and I were like, dude, why didn't we come up with that back then? Oh my god, we would have dominated everyone. And hmm. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really amazing to me. It yeah. it sounds like every kind of major established game or sport, right? I mean, I don't know too much about Counter Strike, but I can do the analogy in my head about basketball or football or hockey, where the methods in modern in modern sport are so advanced now. You can train in so many new ways because it's been twenty, thirty years of evolution. So. It goes without saying that the methods that we knew in the 90s or early 2000s probably seem quite archaic now, but that's because everybody's gotten better, right? So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's also a process of, like, once there's more money involved, you're not only, like, willing to, to get deeper into the game. I think it's never a question of willingness. Like, you always, if you want to compete, you always want to compete no matter whether you, you're into earn $500 or $50,000 um, to a certain extent. But it gives you more freedom to actually justify that practice, both, like, time-wise as well as, like, in your head and around your peers. Because if you tell your parents that you're getting serious about a game that you can't make a living on, that's probably going to be a problem. Whereas... The top, say, League of Legends guys, they are they are earning like one thousand, one hundred, no, how much was it? One hundred thousand k dollars upwards. I remember I read a thread uh, where somebody was like, "Hey, name a creative way for you to earn one hundred thousand dollars a year or more." And the top comment was about a guy uh, who just said playing League of Legends, and that was actually was a comment by one of the top players in the world. And it's crazy how much these guys are making these days. And mm -hmm. we would have never imagined that esports could come to such a high level. Have you ever considered making a professional comeback and doing Counter Strike full time? Um, not full time. Like when Mark started playing it again, and he always kept asking me because he knew that I used to be like pretty into Counter Strike back then. I eventually picked it up again, and I even played with some of my old friends from back then, uh, which felt super amazing because the current version they have, uh, CS:GO, is one of the very first versions, or probably the first version, to recreate that old feeling. Because obviously, you, from a competitive as well as from a streaming point of view, you don't really want to play the old Counter-Strike 1.6, which is 16 years old at this point. You want something more appealing to the audience. And they really nailed it with this version. So to me, uh, I wish I had more time to play it and like even play it on, on a higher level today because I can totally see how much strategy and thought that goes into that. And aim-wise, I think I'm, pretty de I'm still pretty decent. Um, but it's just a question of time. If, if I had all the time in the world, I would be like playing Magic, I would play Counter-Strike, I would play Street Fighter, and probably even StarCraft, which I was also like getting somewhat deep into back in the day and had a period where I played it competitively from 2010 to 13. But at some point, you just run out of time. And it's a shame because I wish I just had more time for these things. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So you played Counter-Strike. What was the game after? Was it Street Fighter or StarCraft for you? 
what happened? Like StarCraft was happening right about the time of Counter Strike. Actually, a bit earlier. The very first time I touched StarCraft was in 1998, um, where I would just play against the computer and the campaign missions, and then sometimes on local LAN parties that we used to do a lot. Uh, but and StarCraft is a uh, strategy, what they call a real-time, a real-time strategy, strategy game, game yeah. right? So it's not a shooting game. Maybe for people who are not. For someone who's been in a cave for 20 years in gaming, what maybe you can explain <laughs> StarCraft and how you got into it. Yeah. Um, how did I get into it? Probably somebody just made an illegal copy at my school and gave it to me because back then it was quite <laughs> easy. You didn't have to verify your stuff online. You just needed a CD yep. key that yep. would work indefinitely because nobody had internet, so they couldn't turn it off. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what it is is uh, you just com- you're the commander of an army. You can produce buildings and uh, infantry or tanks, spaceships, whatever, and you duel against another. And unlike, say, Civilization, which is turn-based, this is a real-time strategy game, which means that you have to do your stuff fast. Like, you, you have to be really, really quick about your moves. You, you can't sit around and wait. You have to make decisions on the spot. And I think that's another great aspect of the game because it teaches you about decision-making. And you probably know, to, to, to go into a different level here, um, you probably know Day9, of course you do, who is like one of the most famous StarCraft commentators and analysts of all times. Yep. And once I got back into StarCraft, which at that point was StarCraft 2 in 2010, um, I watched a lot of his dailies, and it taught me so much about not only StarCraft, but competitive gaming. And I'm really not surprised to see like a lot of people being aware of Day9 in other communities, like in the fighting game community, and uh, even in first-person shooters, as well as in Magic. Because what he says about not only StarCraft, but competitive gaming is like this huge common thing shared among them. And... What I always took away from from him as the biggest lesson that I got out of it was to have a plan. Like, whatever game you're playing, whatever you're doing, always have a plan um, of what you want to do. Because if you're playing without a plan, it's, like, really hard to to analyze your game and get feedback. Like, where did it go wrong? Where where, where did, did I actually succeed? And even if the plan is flawed or bad... At least you have some kind of some kind of I don't know something to to compare yourself against, um, and I think that that's also in in Magic that's one of the major aspects that would set me aside from let's say an average player or maybe even average players have days these uh, have plans these days I don't, I wouldn't know, but it's just when I talk to people about Magic and I ask them hey why did you do this and then they tell me the answer because it was there like why did you terror why did he destroy his creature well because it was there and to me that doesn't go far enough why do you not want to be there why do you not want to save your kill spell for the other creature that's in the stack and that is what when it comes back to the plan the overall plan for the matchup which cards need to trade for which other cards of his and when do i have to like trade down which is a concept in magic where you trade a better spell for a worse spell and sometimes you're forced into that because of tempo reasons, because otherwise your opponent would get too far ahead. Mm-hmm. And you have to be like, intuitively, you know that when you have a very good removal spell, uh, but you're behind that you might want to trade it for a weaker creature. But once you actually develop the plan in your head and also become aware that you're like going away from that plan now, you can like 
analyze the game you had and realize, ah, yeah, see, um, this is where I couldn't like follow my plan anymore because this and this happened. So how do I need to adjust this plan? And for me, that's something that's, as I mentioned, commonly shared amongst all these games. And I think that's something that you really should incorporate into into that's, your play if you're looking to get to a better level. Yeah, I mean, all the all the good, all the, let me put it this way, all the great games have a framework for having plans and playing something in your own style and allowing you to shift from the plan in real time or near real time as things are happening. That's what makes the, the separates the great games from the merely good games. I, I think anyway, I mean, if you're talking about Starcraft, which I played a little bit, Counter-Strike, which I played a little bit, Magic, which I played a lot, I mean, they all they all allow in Street Fighter 2, They all allow you to make decisions in real time, and that's something that it's very visceral, right? Like it's not something that you normally get as you're walking down the street or even when you're working. Like this is something that really engages you. Um, I know I'm kind of may, might be going off on a tangent, but I I can absolutely relate to uh, what Day Nine is saying and what you you've learned from from playing StarCraft. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so you did StarCraft, and then uh, at some point you also got into Street Fighter, correct? Yeah, that was even before that. Um, that was during uh, primary school in Germany. Uh, so I don't know how old was I. Something between 6 and 10 years old. When we all had Super Nintendos, and my friend had Street Fighter 2, and later on Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Uh, we would play that at his home, like, all the time. And it was another... Like to me, it was another one of these games that I mentioned where you could actually go up against a human on on a level playing field, and it was so amazing because your like decisions mattered, and they mattered a lot. It wasn't like a stupid like back then. Games are pretty basic, and you didn't really get too deep into them. And honestly, we were pri- in primary school. We hadn't even cracked Street Fighter on any level, but we still enjoyed it. And it was so diverse. You had like all these different characters to choose from, which were so hugely different. And yeah, it's it's. I have no idea why I never asked my parents to get Street Fighter. Maybe because I knew I would always want to play against my friend anyway, so I would always go to his house. So there wasn't even a point in in getting my own copy. Maybe for for training, but yeah, I didn't really think of these levels back then. I just I just wanted to play, and. It had, like Street Fighter has been really fascinating to me. And had I known how much of a, a competitive game, even in esports, it is these days, I might not have gotten into like StarCraft or or Counter Strike in the first place, but kept on playing Street Fighter. But that goes back to the lo- local community aspect. If you can only play against your friend, and at a certain point, I moved on to like. In Germany, after fourth grade, you, you're separated into different schools depending on your ability. And I was put in a different school than him. So we didn't really hang out too much anymore. And so Street Fighter kind of faded away as a competitive game for me. Um, I still like randomly played it at, friend, at friends' houses uh, at points. But it didn't occur to me that this was actually like a thing online. That Like back then when I got the internet, I think Third Strike was... No, Third Strike came later. I actually don't know. But mm-hmm. when, once I discovered that Street Fighter was a thing to do, I really want to do that as well. And right now I'm playing Street Fighter Five, and I want to get good at it, but I can totally tell that I'm lacking the time. I don't like the community. Like, a couple of my friends do play, and one of my local friends that I've also met through Magic, he's 
if I understand correctly, one of the best players in Germany. So he always tells me, hey, come to this event, come to that event. And I really want to make it, but ah, the time, the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's funny how these games are all so brilliant in their own right. And as children or as younger people, we often go into them purely because of circumstance. A friend is playing this game or I happen to have access to this game and an opponent, so I go into that. Um, I don't think any of us are very calculating to say, I'm going to play this game because I know it's going to end up being the number one esport and I can make six figures if I do this for 15 years, right? Um, you know, like it all starts from a love of the game, which is, which is uh, something I think we share. Now, if I were to ask you, I mean, these are all your babies, right? Like you've been playing all these kind of games. Which one yeah. will be your all-time number one? And it doesn't have oh, to be well. magic. Like, what's what's the perfect one that you will always put on the pedestal as your as your number one? It's as you mentioned, these are all like my babies, and you don't want to uh, quote unquote kill your babies. Sure. But... <laughs> If I had to go back and look at my entire life of gaming, I would probably have to say Counter-Strike, even though from an esports aspect, it would probably be Street Fighter, which I enjoy watching. And but I can't really say playing because I'm pretty horrible these days, but just from, from an aspect of watching coverage, Street Fighter is probably where I really want to be. And I don't know if you, if you saw it, but over the last couple of months, I made a couple of tweets where I was like kind of sad that magic coverage will never be on the same hype level as street fighter at least that's what it seems these days because i mean it's also part of the game magic is a very calculated slow game where street fighter is like hype all day long and yeah from that aspect it would be street fighter but from like biographically it's probably counter-strike because it gave me it actually gave me a lot during a time where like my private life wasn't really the way you want it to be like I was moving a lot and as I mentioned like the thing with my parents probably affected me more than I realized back then so playing Counter-Strike with my friends and being part of this community that gave me so much and I really have to like thank these these I want to call them players but actually they're my friends mm -hmm. uh, for, for just being there and yeah that's something that gave me so much that I that I have to put it at the number one if you wanted <laughs> to put it that way. It's also kind of funny because I I met uh, a lot of these players that I played with back then my team recently at a wedding. Like one of them invited me uh, to his wedding on the other end of Germany, and I'd, I just booked a flight and got there and I met up with a lot of them. And some of them I hadn't even like met in person ever before, and it was kind of cool. Like after 15, 16 years to go back and see see my friends from back then again. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's the best, man. It's just the community, right? Like whether it's uh, Counter Strike or anything else, it's it's really the people and these experiences and knowing that you will always have those experiences. They, no one will ever be able to take them away from you. And they were so instrumental to you as you were growing up. So, Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, In magic, of course, from a competitive aspect and from everything I've, I've done and traveled the world with, that's always like, I will, if, if you ask me like on the next level, if I was ever to move beyond magic, I would probably put magic at first. But right now, magic feels like such an integral part of my life that I, I can't really compare it to the other games because I'm pretty much like done 
with the other games and I can look at them as a thing in the past, whereas Magic, it, it it's quite hard to compare it to these games these days, you know? <laughs> now, let me go back, or not go back, but go forward a little bit to a time when Magic was not integral to your life. What was the moment when you said to yourself, I'm going to dedicate myself to Magic? Was there a particular moment that you knew you were committed? Mm, was there a particular moment when I knew I was committed? Probably when I, once I started playing to uh, attending bigger tournaments, international tournaments. Well, I mean, there there's two steps. Like my very first international tournament was Grand Prix Madrid in 2010, and I didn't really have the money to go there. But uh, in Germany, we have this program where the the state gives you money if like if your parents like I, I don't know if it works the same in Canada, but uh, technically. Once you go into any kind of education, your parents are legally like obligated to give you a certain amount of money each month. And if they don't make enough, the state will give you that money. And it's all based on how much your parents make. So long story short, they made a miscalculation. And come February 2010, uh, they sent me an email or an actual letter. Hey, Julian, we made a mistake with our calculations. Hey, here's $1,000, euros. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, oh, nice, I'll take it. And spend it on a trip to Madrid. Obviously, it didn't uh, cost me 1000 but yeah, that that was something I just really wanted to because, yeah, probably also because I wanted to get away from my unhealthy relationship. Like, I was, I was dating this girl and it wasn't really going well, but we had moved in together earlier and I just wanted to to get out and do something else, so I was so happy that I could actually go, uh, could actually afford to go to GP Madrid, and I got demolished at that tournament. Oh my god, I I was I played a horrible deck and I played in a horrible way, and everything was bad about my play, but I still enjoyed the experience and I really wanted to recreate it. So from from then on, I've hit every legacy GP, and at a certain point, also like all the big legacy events in Europe, and yeah, that was that was the very beginning. Uh, once I committed even more, I think, um, did we talk about this, how, how I split up with my other girlfriend in 2013? We kind of did, was... but I'm sure that our listeners have not heard the stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> oh, that's, that's guys listening? What the fuck, man? Yeah, <laughs> this, you're being recorded, know. man. This is, this is going out to every human being on the planet. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, okay. Hello, planet. This is Julian. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was in summer 2013. Like, I, I had been dating this girl on and off, and like, I was somewhat willing to make it a more serious thing. And I actually moved here because I thought that would like help it. Um, and it did for a while, but without going into details, it eventually didn't work out. And it was kind of bad <laughs> if you think about it so once again i i wanted something to commit more on and i remember the very night or actually it was a day but on the night after we split up um i went online and i bought a rice cooker for whatever reason mm. and a webcam <laughs> and, very interesting combination of things <laughs> yeah, i have no idea why but uh, well, I, I know about why about the webcam because i actually wanted to start streaming and mm. That's when I started becoming more serious about pretty much everything in Magic. Uh, afterwards, I won the Bazaar of Moxen, which gave me a lot of confidence to travel to even more tournaments. And I really, I probably can really say that 
the end of summer 2013 was when I started becoming even more serious than I might have been before. And yeah, 2014, I hit more GPs than ever in my life before. I think I went to seven GPs. See, I, I don't even remember. <laughs> There's just, <laughs> uh, just too many, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, that's probably the, the big turning point. I think what's to... really interesting about your answer is that it's in multiple parts so that there are various stages where you you incremented your commitment. So it wasn't like there was some aha moment when you're like, I'm all in on magic just because of one thing. Like it was, you know, your experience getting the check and then going to Madrid and then relationship issues, which uh, believe me, man, I've been there as well. I, I, you know, magic as being sort of this thing that you really want to focus in on. And there's various bumps along the road, but they kind of made you hone in on magic more but what's really what's more interesting i find from your answer it's based on the stuff you told me just before because you have been so competitive and been involved in competition in different games over the years it didn't really feel like so much of a stretch to say now i'm going to go to this tournament right because i imagine that for a lot of players who had never done anything competitive before magic if magic is the first competitive thing then it's it's a little bit different to get your mindset into that into that state yeah, yeah, and I notice it with local players. Like, if I go to a local gaming stores and I watch other people play, uh, they just play it casually. I, it takes some commitment from my part to not like act as this kind of arrogant, stupid guy because that's what I would look like to them if I started teaching them about how they misplay. Because I have to accept that they are not in it for the competition, but may purely for the entertainment. And like, imagine you were watching TV and somebody told you, hey, James, this show that you're watching, you're watching it incorrectly. You need to watch it in a different way. Do you understand? You would be like, hey, you're such a jerk. Get out of my living room. What, what the fuck, man? Right. I'm and, just trying to enjoy my damn show, right? <laughs> ex exactly. And that's how they would feel. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, that, that's a very different approach to the game. And you have to respect that because... Um, we've all been there and some people enjoy staying there. And in a way, I even almost envy them because what magic has done to me and I've talked to other people and streamers and they are feeling exactly the same that once you get into competitive magic it's really hard to enjoy casual games or single player games like I've got this huge list of single player games uh, I want to play and finish just because I honestly feel that a lot of the great games of our times, they are part of the human culture. They're not just entertainment. They're just as much culture as like a classic movie from the 50s or any kind of like classic book that everyone sure. should have yeah. read. Yeah. And that's what I, why I want to catch up with them. But it's it's really hard to to get yourself to play something that's not competitive because in the back of your head, there's always this, this guy telling you, dude, you could also be on Magic Online and like figure out that 15th sidebar slot. Why aren't you doing that? Mm -hmm. And it's it's actually a <clears throat> bigger issue than I imagined it would be until I, I actually started thinking about it. And there was a time last year when they made a couple of changes to Magic Online. So I actually didn't play Magic Online for something like one and a half months. And I bought a PlayStation 4 and started playing single player games. And I enjoyed that so much. I Wow, that, that mm -hmm. was something I really needed. But at a certain point, you just get dragged back into it and you install Magic Online again and 
yeah, here I am today. <laughs> what, what was it about that one and a half months with the PS4? Was it just the, the fact that you could enjoy single-player gaming or just gaming, just the joy of gaming? What was it? Let me clear my throat. It probably was the the lack of pressure, I almost want to call it. Um, there was a time when I would get home from work and I would start my stream 10 minutes later. If I was lucky, I could like eat something in between. And only like these this year did I learn that streaming yourself, eating something is also something they do in South Korea and make a lot of money with it. So maybe I should have gotten into that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> sure. And it was just this huge stress because back then we also had fixed starting times for daily events. So I had to be home at this time and start the stream. And that was causing so much stress. And um, also my work requires me to travel a lot, like a lot. And even though I enjoy it, it can be really stressful. And I could totally tell that last, especially last year, I don't know what it was about last year. I think it was after I went on a trip to South Africa where it was kind of crazy. My, I might have told you about this, but yeah, the other guys don't know. My boss sent me to South Africa to do like a half hour presentation that my colleague from South Africa might have done as well, but, and she would, would have probably even done it better. Uh, but yeah, he, he still wanted to send me and I was happy because I've never been to South Africa, but it was a flight via Dubai and then to South Africa and was so stressful for me because I was like, my hotel was the worst, the absolute worst. Uh, we had cockroaches uh, running around and the shower was like one meter 50 high. So I had to like sit <laughs> underneath it. It was like the overall oh, experience man, I'm was super amazing. getting a visual here. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to miss it. But it actually caused a lot of stress and just like streaming caused a lot of stress as well. And once they, they made these player point changes and everybody was like, oh my God, the sky is falling, get out of Magic Online. I almost might have used it as an excuse to get like a break and a couple of weeks off. And suddenly I would just, it was like in, in, the, in these movies where the, the, the main character is always stressed and then he makes a change and suddenly like all the happy music starts playing and he comes home from work and he just like does whatever he likes and then he starts the PlayStation and plays GTA 5 or whatever. And yeah, suddenly you're not stressed out anymore. But then after a while you realize, oh man, there's still something lacking. There's, there's something I need in my life. And that something is competitive gaming. And I still haven't finished GTA V today. It's, I still got the last mission to play that I keep telling myself, yeah, today is the day. I'm going to finish GTA. And then I don't. And I just play Magic Online. Yeah, but you got to work on the getting the 15th card in your sideboard right. So, I mean, there's no time for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like one more week before the GP, so I gotta figure that out. <laughs> yeah, but having yeah. said that, because you had that experience where Magic Online was a downer and you managed to get back into console gaming, are there things that you think you're doing now that came about as sort of that rediscovery that you're trying... Are there things that you're trying to apply now? Yeah, yeah. Um one of the things that people are probably sad about uh, is that I do stream much less than I used to in the last couple of years. And I still get the, all these constant messages, hey, Julian, when are you streaming again? When are you streaming again? And I'm sorry that I'm not streaming as much anymore, and I wish I was, but I can't really justify it, having like 40 hours of work that I have to commit each week on top of like living my life. Sure. Um, but... What I do want to do is to be more focused on what exactly I do. 
like back then you would just come home and randomly stream and that's it and at a certain point I wanted to, to make it more professional like I wanted to to make YouTube videos and also like I got my website at studio.com that I've putting in a lot of work for um, but overall I, I wanted to move from a more from a yeah randomish path to a more directed professional path and make better use of my time <laughs> and I think that also gets us into the legacy mediocre league which is probably I, I can't say the brainchild of that idea because the guy who actually thought it up was was Mike over voltage but it's it's an expression of this feeling of what being more streamlined in what I do and less random mm-hmm. I mean it goes back to what we talked about with the learnings from day nine have a plan right so it's, <laughs> have a plan, yeah. it's not just in the game man uh game is just a simulacrum for life right i mean in life you've got to have a plan too even if it's gaming related right so uh i just of course i'm an observer so i'm not trying to overstep and put words in your mouth but i am seeing that for the past year or so i've seen a real evolution in how you conduct yourself i see that you are doing things with a greater purpose and i think the legacy league is one example of that because rather than hey it's me julian streaming uh again tonight or something like that you're trying to get more people involved building up that community and you're getting people more excited in this thing uh something that is bigger than just you playing elves right with you are playing elves in it but it's something bigger than yourself there seems to be a little bit more purpose and mission to the thing if i may say yeah, totally, totally. And I also noticed that like back then people would always come to me at events and tell me how, how they are watching me playing elves. These days it's more about like they still come to me and they tell me they uh, like they saw me playing elves, but they are more about, hey, I read your report about this and this and I saw what you did there and there and it's it's less focused on on just elves and more about the general online presence, mm-hmm. which is kinda like nice i mean i to be honest the thing i still enjoy most is when people come to me and they tell me hey julian i'm playing elves because i saw you playing it mm-hmm. that's i don't know it, it, uh, i have a very hard time dealing with compliments mm-hmm. because i always don't really know what to say i'm like wow that's cool but on in my in my mind i'm like oh my god this is amazing somebody like from a different country sometimes even from a different continent picked up like this set of cards because he saw me playing them mm-hmm. that's that still hasn't like fully entered my mind it's always like uh, almost a shock like dude are you crazy like just because i'm doing it you're doing it that, that yeah that's got to be one of the greatest feelings in the world when you're actually influencing people i mean it's just a game but you are influencing their livelihood right and how they approach the game yeah and it's it's some kind of validation to it mm-hmm. that's getting me amazed I saw the the gentleman who asked you to record the deck tech, and he was from a different... I can't remember what language he spoke, but he was a different... You had mentioned that he was not German. French, and, uh, French right? And, uh, and, and that, Yannick, yeah. Yeah, and that was, that was great. And I also saw that people were asking you to sign their cards. I mean, that's pretty, pretty insane, right? I mean, you have some celebrity right there. <laughs> Yeah, that's what people keep telling me, and my friends they are sometimes making fun of it. But I'm honestly, I'm still not feeling it. It's, it's, it's. 
I think there are a lot of people, and not I know that there are a lot of people that are like several levels be uh, on top of of the tier of famous, if you want to call it that. I'm in, but yeah, it's it's still crazy to me how much people recognize me. But yeah, <laughs> you're you're like Mark Rosewater uh, with uh, with elves. Oh wow, 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 wow! What, sorry, what did you say? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I, I, I am not trying to. I am not trying to use hyperbole, but I, I honestly believe that you are the premier, if not the number one legacy elves player on the planet. Like I have people here in China that are like, "Oh man, you know Julian? Like I I've, I've been studying his <laughs> deck list. Why isn't he running natural order? Like what the hell is up with that?" And uh and they go and net deck your deck anyway because you're Julian. So um and then I have a I have a non-zero amount of friends who were very excited when I told them that we were recording this today. <laughs> oh, well, and, and, and trust me, me, it's not because they want to hear James's voice. So <laughs> yeah so um you know i think that's great because i i think i think the passion is showing through in what you're doing and you you have a genuine voice and it it means something to people because i think i think despite the fact that people are very cynical especially on reddit and online um it people can see when people are when you are trying to be help people get better at the game through writing an article through streaming through doing the league i think there's a lot of things there that people can sense that okay julian's actually a good guy he wants to help me get better at magic so with that out of the way i also wanted to ask you i mean you had mentioned that you only have so much time in the day like all of us big question time why magic instead of the other games like what is it about magic that sucks you in that oh. that you have this extreme level of commitment like why magic it's pr- it's probably the complexity of it um and also i mean people talk about the the sunken cost fallacy and my friend always likes to mention that uh whenever i i talk about other things and that kind of way but I'm so committed to magic and I think I know so much about especially legacy that it would like seem crazy to me to ever just leave that behind that but that's probably like just a one of the aspects uh, as the game itself it itself it's really the community and the complexity of it uh, it's I, I don't know it's really hard to put it into words because that's something I I I haven't really thought about too much why magic, but I mean, if it was for for the game itself, I, I mentioned how how I would love to be like <clears throat> really good and really deep into Street Fighter because the protection value of that game is through the roof. It's absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. But for magic, it's probably just this international community that that exists for the game and that also allows me to like get recognition for what I do. Mm-hmm. Like it's probably super frustrating if you do something and you put it out there and then you get like 10 views on YouTube and somebody comments with spam about how to enlarge your penis or whatever. And you're like, <laughs> oh wow, that's that's all there is for me. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I think that the, the community is a really big aspect to it, but also the game itself is just amazing. I mean, I've played Netrunner, which is a different card game, which is also like super cool and I wanted to get deep into it, uh, but I just didn't have the time. But game-wise, Magic is probably the best game I've ever played. 
that is high praise. Um, and I understand that this is a difficult question to answer because your answer suggests that it's a, it's a combination of things, right? It's not something that you can say, I'm playing Magic because X. You're playing Magic because of X and Y and, and, and Z, and also because your experiences and momentum in your life have kind of led you to to embrace the game. So um, I, I apologize if the question was uh, overly oh, simplistic. Have to apologize for these questions. No. <laughs> but it's what I Keep enjoy is, is really to learn, you know, from from people who are who are in the game. Um, so, what's the best magic-related memory that you've ever had? Oh, that that's the question I'm always most scared of because it's so hard to answer. Somebody asked me that on, I think, a different podcast, and I wasn't really happy with my answer because Here's your it chance, was just man. the first. Here's your chance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was just the first thing that came to my mind. The best magic, I mean, tournament-wise, honestly, winning the Bazaar of Moxon was so insane to me, but uh, it's probably not the best magic-related related memory. It's maybe... I mean, the other day I was scrolling through my Airbnb profile and I was looking back at like all the different trips that I went on and it it hit me how much I have traveled the world or at least Europe because of magic. And that was quite astonishing to me. I mean, okay, let's let's just pick a random memory that felt really cool. Um, let's say GP Barcelona 2014. I traveled there with uh, six guys and two girls. And we rented uh, a yacht, like this this boat in the harbor uh, of Barcelona, and we just stayed there. And we arrived a couple of days, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> we arrived a couple of days early, and we partied there. And, and the, it's the Porto Olympico, the the Olympic harbor of Barcelona, and it was just like this super amazing six days or something, five days, six days. And if I look back, uh, I would have never imagined that that I would hire a yacht in the the Olympic part of Barcelona to party with my friends and then even play magic. And we didn't really do well at the tournament. It was team sealed, but it didn't really matter to me because I just dropped out and won the legacy side event, which was good enough to pay for the trip. Uh, but yeah, that that's something that comes to my mind as one of the, the best memories looking back. But it, 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 I would probably be unhappy with this answer as well once I, once I start thinking even more about it. But yeah. Okay, Best yeah, that's magic. fine. We can we can always uh, go back to it a little bit later. That's that's uh, maybe as we yeah. do more stories, maybe some things will will come up. Um, okay, and changing gears slightly because I, as you know, when I in my writing, I like to be very negative. Uh, <laughs> so, what's the <laughs> what's the worst magic related memory you've ever had? Hmm. I think if you want to structure structure the question with regards to different aspects of magic, because that makes it easier for me to answer. From a competitive point of view, um, it's probably the of thirteenth, no, fourteenth round of. Actually, it was the fifteenth round. Now I remember of GP Amsterdam two thousand eleven Legacy. Mm-mm. I was playing Green White Maverick back then. And I made a really, really stupid mistake that cost me a money finish. Like, it was my second GP overall, and I could have already gotten into the money back then. And at a certain point, it was 10-2, and but then I got hit by a string of bad matchups. And which brings us back to not complaining about stuff, but actually accepting it and doing, doing better. Because every time I look back, I do realize that I got, like, three really bad matchups in a row. Actually, my worst matchup in the meta game. But 
had I played correctly, it wouldn't have mattered. I would have still gotten my money finish. But yeah, I I, I don't know. It was my friend, uh, my my opponent attacking me with a creature with Umisawa's Chitter, and I had Quirin Ranger and Dryad Arbor. So if worst comes to worst, I could just block and bounce so he wouldn't get counters. Mm-hmm. And I even had Crozen Grip in my hand. I could have I could have destroyed the Umisawa's Chitter. And somehow I found a, I found a way to do neither. I I messed up. I tapped incorrectly, and suddenly the Chitter had counters, and he just annihilated my board. And that's how I lost the game. And even to this day, like almost five years later, I'm still looking back at that moment and I'm like, ah, yeah, that that's probably my worst memory when it comes to competitive magic. Okay, um, right. Uh, so, I mean, how do I put it? There must have been a lot of times where, not a lot of times, but there had to be times where you play suboptimally. Was it a a tough one because you didn't get the money finish or was it just something a tough one because you thought you were better than that um it's probably because yeah i actually remember my tournament report from back then um where i mentioned how i was like so excited to have actually made it into day two but on the very moment where i'm standing there and i'm waiting for the doors to open for day two i realize i don't even care about the money i would win i'm obviously if i won a lot it wouldn't matter a lot to my life but i i I'm cared more about like proving myself and and seeing how well i could do in that tournament and by screwing up at that moment, I kind of th- throw away the, uh, threw away the opportunity to see how well I could have done because up to that point, I think I played the best tournament in my life up until then because I was playing really well, mm-hmm. and I deprived myself of of yeah getting to where I could have gotten because I made the stupid mistake, and that's probably what what's the most annoying for me. Because otherwise, okay, I would have won $200. Yeah, it would have been nice, but not life-changing. So it sounds like it was more about the missed possibilities, in a way. It's what could have happened if I played better or played as I should have, and what would that have taken me? Because everything leading up to that point in the tournament was quite good for you. You had some bad matchups, but you could not control that. So uh, in the situations that you could control... Basically, you're thinking, how far can I go, right? Yeah, yeah. I I didn't make the best out of the tournament, like that I could have done. But yeah, that's that's what has been annoying about me. Like, if I go, like, say, if I have a mediocre finish in a tournament, if I played well, or at least if I learned something, that's good for me. Like, when I make mistakes on Magic Online, people are like, oh, aren't you pissed you made a mistake? No, actually, I'm happy I made a mistake. Because that means I won't make that mistakes when it really ma- that mistake when it really matters. Uh, unfortunately, to me, I didn't even make a mistake that I could learn from. I just like made a stupid mechanical mistake by mistapping something, and so the only thing for me to learn was to be, probably be more focused, like mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, but it wasn't really something that that I could like build this new understanding of the game on. So. And on top of that, it actually happened when it really mattered. So a mistake is good for you uh, under these two conditions. It, it, when it doesn't really matter, and when you can learn something from it, and to me it was the exact opposite. I couldn't really learn a lot from it, and it did matter. So that's why it was so bad to me. Did it have something to do with the fact that it was a long tournament and that it was 
you were under a lot of stress. Probably, but I guess so was my opponent. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, because it's just, I'm reminded of something that, because I just interviewed Jarvis Yu, um, who you know as well. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. For, for Jarvis, you know, he always says that when he makes a mistake, he doesn't, he likes to analyze it, but he also doesn't dwell on it until after the tournament is over. He basically wipes it from his consciousness and thinks about it afterwards. He says if he thinks about mistakes where I have to win this match, things like that, he just can't be at his best. So shifting gears a little bit, I am wondering, do you have a specific mental approach to the game as you enter a tournament or throughout the course of a tournament? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's somewhat similar to what Chavez does. Uh, I just, whenever I play a round, I sit down and I tell myself, I'm playing a game of Magic now, or a match. And I'm probably favored to win, unless I'm playing against a really bad matchup or something that's somebody who's much better than me. <clears throat> so I don't really think of it in terms of, oh, wow, now I need to win five more to get into that top eight. Or now I need to win four more. Or okay, I can't. I, I can't ever lose again. I always just tell myself, uh, unless it's a small tournament where it doesn't really matter too much. But when when it actually does matter, I really try to maintain this mindset of I'm sitting down and we're playing a game of magic. Because earlier in my life, in my magic life, I would sit down and I would be like, Oh my god, my opponent is four and oh, just like me. He must be the best magic player in, in the history. How am I ever gonna beat him? Because you know, like technically how magic works, the more you win, the better your opponents get. So you would think that on a certain score, you're playing against Superman playing magic cards. And yeah, I think that doesn't really help you because it doesn't really tell you too much about how good somebody is. Um, if Unless you're like maybe in a top eight or something, because there's always good matchups and variance and luck. So you shouldn't be scared of somebody who's sitting across from you just because he's got a good record he might still mess up. So it's sort of having the confidence to know that you are, you yourself are a competent and decent player and that you are just as likely to win as your opponent and taking it one, one game at a time or one match at a time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's really important. Otherwise, you, you're, the pressures would be getting to you. Mm, okay. And uh, is there something that you have learned through all your achievements in magic that you would if you could go back and tell yourself five years julian from five years ago what you've learned in magic what would you say mm, don't be afraid to make decisions like that's probably something that's i mean we, we share a common background in poker and in poker if you're not willing to make decisions uh, you're getting screwed. Like if you're scared to make a decision, your your opponents will pick up up on it and put you to tough decisions, and it won't become like an easy game for you. Uh, just like for me, five years ago, I think I was still scared to commit to certain things because he might have or he might do. Uh, yeah, but if he doesn't, you win the game, and it's all just a game of percentages. If if he has it, and that means you're behind, and if he doesn't have it, it means you are winning then obviously the upside like outranks the, the downside and you're obviously supposed to go for it. Whereas back then I was still scared to to think about it in, in these terms. Um, yeah, that would be my answer from a competitive point of view. From 
an overall community-wise point of view, I would have loved had I started streaming earlier. Because you back then I know there was like Jan, Jan van der Fecht was around, and not a whole lot of other players. Then Mark came around, started streaming Legacy, and the quote-unquote market was still kind of empty. And yeah, I thought I think there would have been a lot of possibilities that people only picked up on later. So you mean like having a first mover advantage when it comes to streaming then? Exactly, yeah. This this kind of early adopter thing. <laughs> okay. I'd like to go into your answer about the magic related, which is about decisions. Is that equivalent to saying having a line of play and a point of view when you need to do something, or is it something else? I'm not quite sure I understand. Um I mean you can approach a game of magic in different ways. You can approach it in a in a very risk averse, conservative way, where you just try to not screw up, or you can just play it like you would play a hand of poker. Like you can play conservatively in poker, but in the long run, if your opponents are good, they are gonna like abuse you for that in a way. They are gonna take advantage of you. And in magic, I think it's kind of the same. If if you give your opponent a lot of credit of not only what he's capable to do, but also of what he must have in hand, mm -hmm. you are playing a worse game than you should be playing just because you are scared. Because, as I mentioned, he might have, oh my god, then, then I might fall behind, or I might look stupid, yeah. But mm -hmm. if you think about it, he's only like 20% likely to have it. Like, I, I, I mean, I don't actually calculate percentages in my head, most of the time. Sometimes I do because when it really matters you probably should do mm -hmm. but still you've, you've got a gut feeling and you should learn to trust that gut feeling uh, unless you are like super inexperienced. Like, even if you're inexperienced you sh should still trust your gut feeling because it can't develop otherwise. Like if you don't trust it, it, it won't really develop into something that you can rely on and back then my gut feeling <laughs> I, I wasn't really sure whether I, sh I could trust that. So you kind of gave your opponents, initially at least, you gave your opponents too much credit. Like, I have to play around everything because he's probably going to have this and this, and he's going to do this and that, and I'm not going to win. Whereas, instead of putting them to the test, or having the guts to be saying to yourself, I'm going to do this now because this is how I'm going to win, rather than this is how I'm not, not going to lose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also being scared of looking stupid because oh my god how would you ever make that move yeah because it was 80% likely to win what can I say I'm, I'm gonna take these odds if my overall matchup is only like I don't know 45% and I'm getting to a point where I can make a decision that puts me like way be on top of that um, to win the game I'm totally taking it even if, if it makes me look stupid because I just made a move that you wouldn't do in magic unless given these specific circumstances and I think a lot of people just stop at a certain point and they don't really look into these these trade-offs that you're making uh, when it comes to win percentages and they just keep repeating the same tactics or applying the same tactics that they have learned that you have to use this card in this way because that's how everyone does it uh, whereas if you get to the more strategic level you also might use the card in a different way just because the the situation calls, calls for it yeah. and that's something I think that sets me apart from other players, but can also sometimes make me look real stupid should the gambit not pay off. Right, but I mean, looking stupid is not really... Or it's something that you will 
hone yourself to care less about because your goal is winning and sometimes the intuitive or gutsy line is better than the technically technical or the high percentage line right yeah i wouldn't call it the the high percentage line because it's oh sure it's got to be high percentage no matter what yeah right yeah yeah but the the let's say the traditional line that you would take in the spot um because I really think a lot of people just apply what they've seen before without getting too deep into considering what the other options could be or why the player is doing it in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. That that goes back to why are you playing the remove a spell on this creature? Well, because it's there. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, well, <laughs> I guess I can't con continue this conversation anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of um, convenient, I'll call it, thinking. There's also a lot of hive mind thinking where. I'm using this card, this deck, or this play because I've seen everyone do this. John Finkel does this, so I should be doing this as well. But it's not analyzing the what you call the complexity of magic, which is that things change all the time. And in this circumstance, that may not always be the right play. But I think what separates the the average to great to pro players is really having that intuition that's been honed by I mean, even yourself, you played so many, so many games of Magic, so that you're able to make these decisions, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was something I wanted to say. I forgot about it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Just go on. Okay. Uh, so, do you have any daily or weekly rituals when it comes to Magic? Do you have a routine that you constantly revisit and go back to? Um, yeah, so when it comes to playing Magic, we've always got this this group of people playing every Tuesday night. Uh, there's a restaurant slash bar uh, near, near my place where we meet up at 6 p.m. and we play until like 11 or 12 p.m. And that's something I really enjoy because like it's a, a place for you to hang out with your friends, order good food and yeah, just play all kinds of magic. We usually play dual commander and legacy, but also some modern. And to me, that's part of my weekly routine uh, in paper magic. Uh, other than that, there's usually local tournaments on Friday, on Saturday, uh, if I'm here and not traveling, um, that I like to attend. And for magic online, I would say I, I don't really have a fixed routine for that. But a lot of times, especially, especially let's say when I'm eating dinner or something, I really like to enjoy just like playing in a league, hit, hitting up Magic Online and starting some league with a legacy deck and just seeing where it goes. Right. So it sounds like your rituals are really around participation and getting to play the game. Because as you said before, playing the game is something you enjoy so much. That's why you're involved in Magic, right? So playing the game several times if need be on a weekly basis. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I should actually start recording how many matches I'm playing each week because that would be quite interesting to me because I honestly have no idea. It could be like 30, it could be 60. I really don't know. Okay. Yeah, I'd be interested to see that as well. Um, you might be playing... I think you're definitely in the top percentile of players who play Magic, right? In terms of games played, I would imagine. Oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoy your tweets where you interesting situations come up, but that's a, that's a story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a mentor figure 
who has helped you improve your magic game and outlook? Is there mm. somebody that you look up to or that you you study from or maybe you talk to in order to help you improve in the game of magic? Mm. I kind of would love to have uh, an answer, but I don't really. I think in the beginning, it wasn't really one specific player, but the entire Munich leg legacy community, um, because those guys, and most of them are still around today, like 10 years later, have a very specific approach to the game um, in a way that we always call each other out on mistakes, like a lot. like. I mentioned how not all of your friends are doing that like earlier in, in this podcast and that's true but I think when I started playing in Munich that was different like if I made tiny mistakes I would get called out on and people would also like make f fun of each other for those mistakes but not in like in a personal attack way but more in a like entertainment wise way like everybody was making fun of everyone whenever we saw mistakes mm -hmm. so it didn't I didn't really mind it honestly I thought it's in the end, it was something that helped help me improve because I I wanted to be the guy who doesn't make these stupid mistakes and who does well. So I think, yeah, the the local community of, of legacy players I grew up in helped me a lot. And I, I'm pretty sure that I had grown up in a different, less competitive environment. I might have even dropped out of the game at some point because, yeah, that was fun. What am I going to do tomorrow? Oh, play football. I don't know. So this, this super competitive environment I grew up in, I think that shaped me a lot as a player. I it's see. not one specific person that I could point out. Mm -hmm. But even better, it's the environment, right? It's, the, it's what you've seen day in, day out that made you who you are and made you stay in the game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's super important. Uh, you just mentioned football. Um, what role does football play in your life right now? <laughs> uh, in my life right now, not as much of a role as I wish it would. Like, if there's anything rivaling my passion for magic, it would probably be my passion for football or for you North Americans, let's call it soccer. Uh, I'm going to keep ca calling it football because that's just what's natural to me. But, you know, I'm, I'm talking about these guys with the the ball rolling on the grass and stuff. Yeah. Anyways, no, um, I I started playing football when I was a child. I don't really know why, probably because my parents just put me in a club and made me play. And yeah, it has always been this really, really big passion. And before Magic, it was the one thing in the world I enjoyed doing the most. Like playing football was the one thing that would make me feel so good because... I just enjoyed it so much. It, it was like, you could be creative. You also could be like, there was a certain amount of, of physical challenge going into it. It would also like, there's once again, the community aspect of playing with your friends and developing a, a deeper understanding of how to play together and like reading their minds in split seconds to play together. Like that's something that doesn't exist in magic. Like you don't have somebody to to bounce off from. I don't know how to, how to phrase it to, to like, really get this hive mind mm -hmm. that you are as a football team and know what everybody is doing um, without even having to think about it. That's that's just like it's something I really enjoy and that I'm somewhat missing right now in my life. Mm -hmm. um, just because I, uh, I mean, we, you also, I think you even mentioned it in your book, um, how, how I had this knee injury um, that 
pretty much stopped me from playing football for quite a while and I still haven't gotten back into it mm -hmm. and certainly not on the kind of level that I was playing before. So yeah, that's something I'm not always aware of that I'm missing it, but uh, every time it comes up, I'm like, oh yeah, man, uh, I really wish I could be playing like football again, like seriously, but yeah. You were pretty good at one point, right? You had considered even playing as a career of some sort or as a... As uh, a... Uh, I don't know whether... No, I, I mean, I, I think I was pretty good, at least among my peers. I would probably be one of the... Like, you, you see, I'm, I'm not, bad, not good with compliments, uh, but honestly, I think uh, I was one of the very best among my peers. Um, on a club level... I think all my like when I say my peers, I mean my my friends at school. I think I was one of the best players uh, among my friends, mm -hmm. and also uh, in the club I played in. Um, we in my last season I played. We played in the same league as the the youth team of Bayern Munich, which is like, probably you might have heard of it, even if you're not into football at all. And there were even some guys who later made it to to the first team of Bayern Munich and. I think none of them have made it to the national team. Yeah, I'm just going through the names that I played against because back then I already knew, okay, you got to remember the names of the other players mm -hmm. because in 10, 20, 30 years' time, you will be like, oh my God, I played against that guy. And yeah, that, a couple of them made it to the first team and the first league in Germany. So I think we were on a good level, not the very top level because if so, I would have played for like one of the big teams. And it's also kind of funny because I wasn't that committed back then. But hmm, I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it, but I never thought of football as something that that's, was like competitive in a way. It, it, it was different than magic. I, I never really thought about these things, like you mentioned, get, making a career out of it because no, why would I do it? I still enjoy it and I want to play football every time I can. But... Mm. <laughs> I don't know. It, it would be putting it like too high to to say that I would have been anywhere close to making a career out of it. Sure. Let's just say that you were very, very, very passionate, involved with it at some point. Oh yeah. And you were yeah. better than maybe the average uh, schoolmate. And uh, yeah, let's leave it at that because I think there's a lot of joy to be had from just loving a game. Right. It doesn't have to be competitive, oh, yeah. and it's something that is a part of us forever, right? It's a part of you forever, even if you're not thinking about it every day. So um, I, I I really appreciate you sharing that because, um, you know, having injuries of any kind is is not easy. And uh, it's, yeah, it's one of these things where that's, it's, and one thing you mentioned, which is the, when you're, when you're simpatico with your teammates, as you're making a play where you're just reading off each other, that's something that I experience when I play basketball or certain sports as well. And that cooperative high, as I'll call it, is something that I really don't get in games. Even if I'm playing with my mates, uh, buddies in Counter-Strike online, it's still not quite the same. Maybe the closest would be a one versus one thing like Street Fighter, where I really feel like I'm reading and reacting in real time. But there's yeah. something beautiful about sports and, as you know, the beautiful game, football, that kind of defies description sometimes. You know, it's just something that you feel inside you as you 
as you play, you know, not to sound too lofty about it, but uh, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely beautiful when it happens. So. Yeah. And I mean, we can't really work that into magic as a turn-based game. And maybe that's also, you mentioned Street Fighter. That's one of the aspects I envy Street Fighter for. And maybe that's even one of the reasons why it's such a great spectator game um, is the, the dynamics that you really have to make decisions on the fly and not have time to think about it. So your, your true intuitive um, self kind of shines. Like you have to put in the hours to, to get good at making these decisions with your gut. Like right away, you you can't think about it. Oh, okay, he's gonna DP uh, like that's Dragon Punch in Street Fighter, so like a higher. With anyways, you, you can't really like make these cute calculations. You really have to make a decision on the spot, and you're probably not even thinking about it. It's all muscle muscle memory. Yeah, in Street Fighter, people are not gonna say, "Judge, uh, this guy's tanking too long <laughs> because he's." Uh, he he's doing something there and he hasn't decided yet and uh I better you better come and take a look at this, give him a slow play warning because you know it just does not I'm just happen. imagining this happening. <laughs> uh, this guy's been turtling too long, I wanna throw yeah, my Yeah, he's been turtling too long, he needs a violation and uh, also uh he should get a game loss here because he registered the wrong character, you know. It's uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um yeah, there's something very visceral, and also as a spectator sport, it's just beautiful to watch Street Fighter. And I, I'm I'm sorry for going off tangent here, but you know you'll see a match where someone gets thrown three times in high level play, and you'll be like, "How the fuck did that happen? I mean, doesn't this guy know how to counter this?" But it's this whole <laughs> judo like mind game within a mind game that is so beautiful about, about Street Fighter. I think the the only way that I can compare Street Fighter to Magic is that it's a game of making the least mistakes possible, but Street Fighter is much more visceral in the mind games and the counter your counter your counter kind of thing so there's maybe it's more like poker in that in that respect um but but yeah every game's different and i have gone on a complete deep end tangent but i love street fighter as well <laughs> so <laughs> there you go <laughs> Evo should be coming up this month i'm really looking forward to that evo is like the the biggest tournament of the year that you really should watch the big the big open tournament i think the capcom cup is even bigger price money wise but evo is the place to be so if you want to check out street fighter guys i think it's the beginning of july um just google for it and you will find it evolution it's called yeah the coverage online is excellent and i'm sure being in vegas to watch it is even more excellent although i've not unfortunately i've not had the chance to do that it would be it would be on my bucket list for sure oh for me too for sure yeah 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 um Okay, so going back into the magic a little bit, do you think there are some ways that magic has negatively impacted your life? And if so, how? Um, I'm pretty sure there must be some price I've paid in my life for, for like devoting so much time to magic. I think there's two things that I would think about. Um, one thing is... While I was at university, I didn't really play a lot of football anymore. And then, like later, I I hurt my knee, so I couldn't even play it anymore. But I was focusing so much on magic that I didn't really do a whole lot of other things. So I don't know. Maybe that was. Hmm. It's kind of hard to say. I mean, it also helped me. Like I, I moved to a different town for university, and I got to know a lot of local magic players, and I had a great time. But obviously, that means I didn't really 
spend too much time thinking about like university or my future and stuff because hey you're just like I think you're like coasting along and yeah things are fine and so I just it feels like I kind of did university as as this these couple of years that I would just have something to justify me not actually doing a whole lot in my life like because hey you're studying you're getting your master's degree but honestly I, I feel like you should make better use of the time, like really develop an idea of what you want to do in your life. And I think I didn't really do too much of that back then. And that's probably also because, hey, I self-identified as like a magic player and not like as somebody who is in university and looking to to build some kind of career. So I think I neglected that part of my life. And that's probably also because Maybe not even because of magic. Maybe I would have found another outlet to to make use of my time in a different way so I wouldn't have to like think about my future because it's always in a way scary to think about your future because as good as I am uh, with making decisions in games these days, I'm probably a horrible person when it comes to make decisions about my life. <laughs> it's, I, I don't ever want to commit to something. So yeah, that that's something that's that's quite different in my life that compared to magic. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, uh, it's kind of sad. Like I, I really, really love the magic community and how, how involved I am in it. But I think these days I'm a little out of touch with my, with my other friends, like my non-magic friends, because I spent so much time with magic and traveling magic and playing magic. Uh, that I think I'm not seeing my my friends from quote unquote before magic like from school and then anymore and that might be because that's just how it works you don't see your friends from school uh, a lot after you've graduated and and moved on with your lives but we still used to like see each other a lot but that has gone down I I still like I see my best friend a lot and we spend a lot of time together we, we even just booked a trip to Scotland to stay there for 10 days oh, nice. and that's going to be amazing yeah I'm really looking forward to it but my my other friends that I used to hang out a lot with um, that aren't into magic I only see like a couple of times a year anymore and maybe yeah maybe that's not because of magic um, but because of general ways our lives have developed and obviously we're not living as close together anymore as we used to but yeah maybe i just maybe i just kind of wish that a lot of my other friends would also be like competitive magic players so we could be in this together and i actually try to get some of them into it but yeah if you find like they are different playing different games or sports and once you start working you only have so much time huh that's right and i think what you've described is not uncommon to a lot of people, uh, myself included, the, the very fact that you're, we're in this big world now where you can find people with similar interests as you from the other side of the planet that love legacy elves or something like that. You have a lot more to talk about with that person. Or even you and I, right? We have a lot to talk about. And I'm not in, yeah. the, in the same country as you. Like, whereas when <laughs> we're growing up, you only t- know people because they happen to be in proximity to you. And uh, it's, it's no contest. Uh, and I, I say this as a very, in a very elitist way, but you def- definitely want to just end up spending time and discussing things with people that you feel you have a shared interest with, whether it's a, 
it's a loved one or a friend or a best friend or something like that. And if you have no connection to someone other than the fact that you knew each other 10 years ago, it's a little bit harder to reconnect. And I, I can tell you that I've been there. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are your, what, do you have any magic related goals for the next three to five years? Um, hmm. Honestly, I, I would love to do well at a legacy GP, like in terms of getting to a top eight. But I I wouldn't call that a goal. Like I, I think I don't actually have I don't set goals for myself in Magic. Because if I actually set getting to a legacy GP top eight as a goal, that would like require me to put in even more hours and maybe even considering playing a different deck because I think Elves is really good. And if it gives me the best chance of getting there right now because I'm so familiar with it. And I think it's, yeah, it gives me the highest chance to get to a GP top eight right now. But I think overall, if I put in almost the same amount of hours with an even better deck and played it until, I don't know, for X hours a day, my chances might go up even higher. And at this point, even a slight increase in, in odds would mean a lot. So, being aware of that, I don't really set it as a goal because I know that I would probably neither be willing to put in the hours for that nor be able to time-wise. So my only real goal is to to make the best of the resources that I got time-wise and, and play skill-wise and just, yeah, and enjoy what I'm doing and hopefully do as well as I can. That's it, a it's goal, a pretty yeah. boring answer, I guess. <laughs> no, it's a good one because sometimes when you when you expect too much out of yourself, it can really drain you. And you've been having you've had experiences in the past where you've gone through intense periods of magic and other things. So I, I think it's normal to, for lack of a better word, mellow out as you as you get older or more experienced. And the other thing you touched on, which is really interesting, is that you are doing things out of the enjoyment too because you are not going to stop playing elves right i mean you could be playing some killjoy deck like miracles sorry sorry to all the miracles players out there <laughs> i know you've done miracles uh you could be playing uh i don't know omni show like when dick through time was legal and you did that for a while but i knew you didn't enjoy the game as much and so not at all part of what makes us uh legacy players or eternal players is the fact that we like to enjoy the game on our own terms. If we were not doing that, then we would be playing standard all the standard all the time. Again, sorry, I'm I'm firing too many shots at these these groups, but it, it's how I feel, and I, I I feel that you have similar outlooks that you want to enjoy the game on your terms, and it's not always about winning at all costs, like with the yeah, best yeah. and. Deck. I I even believe that's the same on the very top level. If you read about uh, read articles by, let's say, uh, PV, Paolo Vito, Damo da Rosa, or, or other guys, you will often encounter this feeling of, yes, I think this other deck might actually be better, but I'm really not enjoying it, so I know that I won't be able to play it on the on the highest level possible, so I'm sticking to a slightly weaker deck that I enjoy immensely, 
and just go with it. Or even let, let, let's say to, to go back to Street Fighter. In Street Fighter 4, there was a time when, when Yun was like the, the very best character, or mm -hmm. only rivaled by, by maybe even Ryo. Like in the end, the consensus in Street Fighter 4 was that probably even Ryo was, was the best character. But you would still see like all these other 20, 30, I think in the end it was 44 characters see play. Like most of them saw, still saw high level play. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to, to the idea of enjoying playing a certain character. I mean, it was a really big deal when Daigo, which is, who's like the John Finkel slash uh, Kai Buddha of the Street Fighter universe, when he switched from Ryu to both evil Ryu and then Yan at a certain point. I don't even know how to correctly pronounce it. I've heard different ones. Anyways, um, when he switched characters, this was like the super big deal because Daigo said that that Ryo was his way of expressing himself. And even switching to a different version of Ryo, like Evil Ryo, that was like this this quite big deal because everybody knew it. he should do it from a competitive point of view, just looking at the numbers because the character was better. But actually seeing him do that, that left a lot of, not a lot of, but some people actually heartbroken because, oh my God, Daiko actually abandoned Ryo for a different character just because he felt like he really has to. Oh, how can that be? And that probably tells you something about balance. And I think they actually adjusted the balance in the game because if if somebody like Daigo goes away from Ryu, there must be something really wrong. And in the end, he kept playing Evil Ryu because that's just the way it works in a fighting game with forty four characters. Not all of them are gonna be on the same level, but some are gonna be better than others. And but still competitive. Like the others are still gonna be competitive, so I feel it's very similar in Magic. Um, it's very obvious that Elves is not the best deck in Legacy, but it can compete, and nobody would be surprised to see Elves win any given tournament. So I think if you enjoy your deck and you know what you're doing with it, and the other maybe technically better options aren't appealing to you, you should just stick to what you enjoy playing. Play what you enjoy and play what you know. These are the two models of legacy players everywhere, and I think it's why we love the format uh, because it's wide enough that you this can happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are your? This might be even a little bit more personal. Your? Do you have any personal goals? Maybe in the next year or two maybe outside of magic or related to magic. Uh, it doesn't have to be, but uh, what are your personal goals? Um, whew, whew, whew. In, oh, you mean outside of magic. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, outside of magic. Yeah, uh, It's not like, uh, oh, I need to meet a girlfriend through magic. No, it's uh, just, personal, <laughs> just personal goals. <laughs> uh, personal goals would probably be to... to get to the next level uh, professionally and professionally I mean job wise like I've been doing the same job for like three years now and uh, I don't know whether like I want to get a new job or get this job to a new level um, we've been talking about like how to explain this like we've been talking about increasing the range of our operations because right now we are only focused on Kenya and I've been talking to my colleague about this idea that we both had to like generally pick up Africa uh, as, as a destination that we are mark not, not only mar not, maybe not marketing but but actually selling and to pick up different properties in different countries that we will incorporate into our product or maybe even move on to a new company I I, I don't even know um, but somehow get to the next level professionally yeah that that's what would be my biggest 
goal, if you want to call it that, yeah, in life, the next, the next big step. Got it. Okay. I, I appreciate you sharing on that because I know it's uh, going outside of magic a little bit, but that's kind of the purpose of the podcast is to, <laughs> to veer out a little bit on occasion. Uh, let me end with one question for you. Let's, let's conclude the one question. If you could tell somebody who's getting into competitive magic for the first time, what would you tell him or her? Um, to play as much as possible. That's really, if, if, he, if he or she enjoys it, of course. If you don't enjoy something, you're only doing it until a certain point, and at that point you should probably find something else, because why would you even continue playing if you don't enjoy it? But this is all assuming you enjoy what you're doing. Play as much as you can, because especially for competitive magic, there's no replacement. I know that there's a lot of people who like to theory craft, and they're... And I've been there as well, where you like spend hours upon hours working on deck lists that you will never actually play, just thinking, okay, this might play out this way, this might play out that way. There's no replacement for actually getting into the game and playing it out. And I might even get annoyed at some people sometimes when I can clearly tell that they haven't been like playing and only thinking about and now they want answers from me to questions they have never even tried to, to answer for themselves. And... So I always, the first, very first thing I asked them was, how much have you played? How much have you tried this? And they're like, yeah, well, I was just thinking. Yeah, see, that's the problem. You are just thinking, not trying or doing. <laughs> there is no try. <laughs> yeah, don't think or don't think all the time. Do, right? You have to put it into practice. You have to put in the work. Yeah, yeah. And that's also something I, I just recently noticed. I saw one of the more famous figures in the Street Fighter universe, Alex, uh, Alex Valle. And he also tweeted a lot about how people come to him for advice. And he also just tells them, okay, you are going to do, I don't know, 1,000 uh, crouching medium kick into fireball every day until you get that perfectly. And of course, that's boring to them, but that's what you have to do before you can get to a deeper level. You have to put in the hours. And yeah, I, I would very much uh, advise anyone getting into competitive magic to just play and not put in too much theoretical thought about it before you're at a certain level. Or at least the theoretical should complement the baseline of putting <laughs> in a lot of play already. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just reminded of that scene in the uh, Karate Kid when Mr. Miyagi tells the protagonist to <laughs> wax on, wax off, and you gotta get that drilled into your head. You gotta do the 1,000 deep, you know, crouching medium kick into DP every day until it's just second nature, and then then you can talk about, you know, should I wax on, wax off, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I like the Karate Kid analogy. Yeah, I, f I love that movie. Um, and But yeah, basically, Julian, it's been an extreme pleasure and delight just talking to you today. I think I learned a heck of a lot, and it's gone beyond magic, which is what I really wanted to. So I thank you so much for taking the time, and I hope that in the future we can also do another show together. Uh, best of luck to you, and uh, not that you need luck, but in everything that you do, uh, including the Everyone mega, <laughs> yeah, better lucky than good. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, so, you know, best of luck to you and I'm sure the, the legacy mediocre league will be awesome. So again, another shout out to legacy mediocre league, please check that out. If you have not, 
it's happening right now with some of the best players in the game. And uh, thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, James. I really enjoyed this. I can't believe this has already been over two hours. <laughs> the time just went by, and it's an absolute delight. So uh, take care, Julie, and I'll talk to you next time. Okay, thanks.